Welcome to the 34-Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome everyone to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and today we are going to be doing a favorite, which is the ancient world, the classical world, at the movies, Hollywood, how it handles classical history, and what better person to talk with about today's movie than the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. So, Gary, today, I would use the line from the film, but I'm going to leave it alone. Ancient Greece, Sparta, the 300, Thermopylae. How about that? Very dramatic, right? Very dramatic, yes. Okay, so we're going to talk about two films based on the story of that we know first from Herodotus, great, correct? Because I want to talk about the history of it with you, uh, which is of the 300, the 300 Spartans that held off the Persians. Um, I think this was the second Persian War, right? Yes. Okay. The first, so, the mm-hmm. first Persian War was uh, Darius the Great, who invaded Greece in uh, 492 to 490, mm-hmm. and he was uh, repulsed. And so this is about the second Persian Empire invasion of Greece, which uh, was led uh, in 480-479 by Xerxes. So let's let's talk about um, let's talk about first the history. Then let me tell the first the first the two films. So the two films we're going to be talking about will be, of course, the famous Three Hundred, which is the film that came out. Uh, in 2007, to wide acclaim, it used a lot of uh, comic book elements, uh, a stylized movie. And then there was a film, and that was in 2007. Then there was a film in 1962 called The 300 Spartans, which uh, tells the same story, but tells it in a more traditional manner. So those are the two films we're going to talk about. But Gary, let's ex- why don't you explain to the audience, what is this story about? What's the historical basis of this story? Well, the story is that... Uh... Xerxes was out to avenge uh, Darius. Um, Xerxes is, uh, just so, uh, again, all the listeners will know, you're talking about the king of the Persian Empire. Yeah, he was emperor of the Persian Empire, which was, you know, held held most of uh, what is now Turkey and so on. I mean, it was immense. <clears throat> and uh, he, in order to make sure that he could capture Greece his second time around and avenge uh, Darius, uh, he, you know, he amassed an immense army. There's been various estimates of it, but some estimates say 300,000 men, which is just unheard of in the ancient world to have an army that large. Sorry, so, I had myself melted, muted so uh, that we could hear you. But okay, so it's unusual to have an army at large, but let's talk about that empire because I think there is... I mean, we obviously receive our sense of that empire from the Greeks, but we do know from our own historical research 
uh, in the last few decades, indeed the last few centuries, about the Persian Empire. And so it was a, a, a multicultural empire, correct? And it was also, if my understanding of it is correct, it was an empire that did was accepting of different cultures, different nationalities. Well, that- it, it it conquered them and and accepted them that way. But uh, but but my understanding is that they accepted them in the sense that they did not force a Persian uh, Persianization, so to speak, upon them. They allowed their cultures to worship as they please, that sort of thing. Well, but at any rate, uh, they conquered the, the Greek uh, cities along the uh, what is now the Turkish coast, like Ephesus mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, so they, they were under the absolute rule of the Persian emperor, you know, Xerxes. So what we have, it's what we have, at least that's come down to us, is the idea of the Greeks asserting their own freedom versus the dominion of the Persians. But all I'm pointing out is that the Persian Empire, with obviously any empire, any conquest, is problematic to people's freedom. That's a given. The Greeks were champions of freedom, but they had their own problems in terms of how they you know, engaged in freedom within their own culture. So I'm just, just trying to give it a little balance, because one of the interesting things in watching these two films is the very weird, particularly with the recent 301, the very weird hagiography of this story. So, so that's the context. So you're saying Xerxes is now invading Greece. He's in invading Greece, and uh, the Greeks, uh, of course, want to fight. They they want to give in to the uh, you know the emperor no matter what. Uh, but Greece was uh, not unified. It, you know, there was a number of city states. Athens was a city state. Sparta was a city state. Uh, Thebes. Uh, you know, and so on, um, Corinth, and so uh, they they had a meeting, which is shown, I think, really well in the 1962 film, uh, and uh, they uh, allowed Leonidas or Leonidas, uh, the king of Sparta, to lead their uh, forces and. Uh, in the 1962 movie, it's Leonidas's, uh, Leonidas, as they call him in the film, uh, uh, you know, choice to stop Xerxes, uh, you know, at Thermopylae. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that there's a narrow defile. They call it defile or, you know, it's a very narrow area between the mountains and, uh, and the sea there. And so the uh, immense numbers of the uh, Persian army, you know, wouldn't uh, matter because they can only front so many troops. And the Spartans were very good at, uh, you know, defending that narrow gap. Uh, The 1962 movie, which, by the way, stars Richard Egan as Leonidas or Leonidas and uh, the beautiful young Diane Baker uh, as his daughter. and she has a love interest, a, a young Spartan soldier guy. Uh, and then Sir Ralph Richardson, who is a great actor, and he he portrayed Themistocles. And Themistocles was the leader of Athens. And, uh, you know, he learned from the Darius invasion that Greece needed to, to defend itself better. So he built a fleet of uh, ships to defend Greece. I think there's about 450 of them, warships. 
which became crucial, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But um, in, in defeating Xerxes, uh, you know, uh, finally. But um, the uh, both movies, you know, the the 2007 was it movie? Um, mm-hmm. 2007. That starred Gerard Butler and uh, nobody else of uh, note. But uh, uh, both movies, you know, had the uh, council when they decided, uh, you know, to defend themselves. But Themistocles, um, uh, especially, is emphasized very well in the 1962 film. And he actually tells uh, Leonidas that he can uh, lead the whole army. In other words, he's putting uh, Athens' army under the command of Leonidas, which is a big deal, as well as uh, his navy. And so Leonidas goes back to Sparta, and they have the, uh, you know, the council, Sparta, who decides whether the Spartan troops will participate or not. And they resist going, uh, and Leonidas is urging them to to fight, you know, for all of Greece, and they just want to fight for Sparta, uh, being insular, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. Leonidas is a great leader, and he knows they're wrong. Um, so they uh, they finally agree to send their the, the whole Spartan army, but only after they have this religious festival, which Leonidas thinks is ridiculous, and the enemy's mm-hmm. at their door, and they need to go now, uh, not okay. wait until after this festival ends because it may be too late then. Well, let's hold up. Okay. So first, uh, let's talk about the history of what, uh, so we have the, you're talking about now the the 300 Spartans, the 62 film. So I just want to make sure we establish the history of what we know about the truth of that, then that film, and also point out something about the 300. By the way, there were a lot of actually um, really good actors in the new one. Uh, So in fact, Lena Headley plays the queen of Sparta and she is actually Cersei from Game of Thrones. So yeah, she's, she's that. she was very good. No, she was and, very good. And Michael Fassbender, which I think people forget, amazing actor. Uh, uh, he uh, played Stilios, a young um, young Spartan. So we saw Michael Fassbender in Twelve Years a Slave and um, a couple of I mean many films. He's just he's just a well known. He actually is a race car driver now, if you can believe it. Or oh, not. I didn't know that. He's wow. spending time as a race car driver. So, so yeah. The, and Dominic West, who also is a, a wonderful actor, and he's in a lot of uh, yes. Showtime series, The Affair. He's in that as well. He was in The Wire too, of course. Um, so, um, so yeah, there is a lot. There's a wonderful cast in the new film. I'm not. Yeah, but they weren't. We'll, get to, we'll, we'll get to the new film in a second. So, yeah. what's okay. the history of how how that actually? What does Herodotus? What do the ancient historians say about how? It's, well, what they what it? they say is. Uh, Leonidas was, uh, you know, really disgusted that uh, they wouldn't give him the army, the full army. But he had uh, a personal bodyguard or whatever of 300 soldiers, and they were not under the control of the council. They were under his control. So he marched his 300 up there. So that's and, the history uh, of it. That's what they say historically happened, that he said he made the choice to take his 300. He went to the council. The council rebuffed him. And then he said, I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to stand our ground here. This makes sense. Yes. That's what the history said. See, now this is interesting. So let's start talking about the two, Gary. I want to jump in and talk about the two films and what's interesting about it. Because, okay, in the 1962 version, uh, for the listener, my take on it, the 1962 version Follows an historical pattern. It's a talk. It is about 
the Greek fight for freedom. The 2007 film version is like some sort of like fascist fantasy tale about the superiority of certain men. It's a really weird Yeah, it's tale. very different. And very I, different. And, and he know. goes to these things called the ephors. Like he goes to these deformed people in the in the 2007 version. He doesn't go to a council. He goes to this these groups. Now, well, what that's is, true. What I, you, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a very odd. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Bizarre. Because, again, the whole idea of the story of the 300 in historical terms is that it's about a small nation or a small group of people, the Greeks, fight for freedom, to maintain their own freedom. But in this version, it's it's almost like it's about really cool, powerful guys who want to do cool stuff and fight and how they don't get how, you know, lesser people try to stop them. I mean, everything about the 2007 version is here are the cool guys. They're, you know, they've worked out a lot. They're dressed in like, you know, Chippendales dancers or something. Yes, and, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like they come out in like their Chippendales costumes and then they fight all these I mean, some some fantasy battles, yeah, fantasy battles. Some aspects of it are just clearly racist, but that's a whole other story, you know. So you've got that going on there. You've got the misshapen people that they uh, that they look down on, or they're yeah, they kind of remind you of the um, the three witches, you know, and Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, and then those those guys are they're lecherous with the so it's that whole old chest that old saw which is. You know, the good, powerful man is taking care of the ladies. Look at how he cares for women and how these dirty, lecherous, misshapen, lesser human beings handle that, don't you? You know, it's it's so patriarchal in such a weird way. Yeah, it so, is. So and you it, have the history in this, the 62 version seems to align up better, correct? Yeah, the 2007 version is a real boulderization of, of reality on many levels. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's, you know, let's the, get to that. The, the costumes are bad. They're not wearing armor. And of course, the Greeks weren't stupid. They wore armor when they went yeah. into the battle. How are you going to uh, fight people mm-hmm. in the ancient world, hand-to-hand combat? And, and, with and just your a G-string. Cape. Yeah, and no, your G-string and a cape. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. No. You know? So uh, you also, you, you again, let's, again, so we've got this setting. So the historical setting is they're going to defend this past so that the Persians cannot get through and, you know, you know, basically run their way, run roughshod throughout Greece. Uh, both versions show this, but how we get to it is different. In 2007, we go to these weird people with uh, apparent leprosy who like to, like, chase young women, and then he has to ask them, but, of course, they're not as superior as he is, and I say that in quotes, so he decides to go do it anyway. Whereas in the two, 1962 version, this is about how democracy works, right? He's going into a council and the council doesn't agree. So it's much more about the political f- fight for well, freedom. Well, I think it reflects what happened with right. much more much more accuracy. Um, right, right. No, I thought I thought so too. I mean, I thought in the 62 film you got I mean it was the the style of acting was a little dated. Yeah, it's a little dated and so on. Uh, yeah, but, but, but get it was, this, it was it was uh shot on location because that that was Greece. Yeah. In the 2007 version, it was all green screen and it was just ridiculous. You know, I I will grant for the 2007 version. I liked the style of it. I thought it was cool. I thought the style was pretty cool. I thought, okay, wow, what an interesting way to do things. But it was in the service of something that was really just in in many ways uh, abominable. It's just like, yeah, you've got this really stylish fantasy of eugenics of some sort. It's like some crazy 
you know, there's the kid, uh, you know, who the betrays the Greeks. Um, what's the name? Uh, if I always mispronounce. Well, he wasn't a kid in the uh, in, in in history. He was he was a man. Uh, okay, the, he's shown as a man in the '62 version. He's shown as a kid in the 2007 yeah. version. That's a good point. But Ephialites, am I pronouncing right? Ephialtes, is that? I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. Yeah. So he, in the 62 version, here's another good example. Okay, so let's do a compare and contrast. So we compare and contrast the councils. The council in the 62 version are officials of, you know, are, 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 are leaders of, of Sparta. Are, and they show them in the council right. chamber there in Sparta, and that, that's yeah. realistic. Yeah. And they just look like normal humans. So they're just, they're just and, normal and humans who represent their... And their yeah. costumes aren't perfect, but they're a lot better than in the 2007 version. Well, that's even a whole other bowl of exactly. Um, so, but they're normal human beings, and it seems like it's a normal political council. Okay, then you get to 2007 version. You've got these like uh, mutants of some sort. There's some kind of mutant. That's all I can figure out. Uh, and they they're well, they're misshapen, and they're 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 like they have mystical powers. It's totally not about. Government. It's total fabricated nonsense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then you've got the character of Ephialtes, we'll just say for the one of a pronunciation, who eventually becomes a key character because he betrays the Greeks. He betrays them to the Persians. So in the 62 version, you have a full-grown man who's, you know, a shepherd or whatever. He's living with a shepherd. And he, he betrays it, leads the uh, Persians on the uh, the the. The pathway, you know, across the mountain, so they can encircle the Greeks. You know? Exactly, which is what the history says. But look at the 2007 version. You, you tell me, Gary. You explain to me why do you make him this hunchback, misshapen kid? Like it's, it's as if to say, look at what lesser people do; they'll yes. betray you. Like, look at this. Oh yeah, it can be viewed that way as uh, oh. an assault on on. Uh, you know, physically challenged people. You know? Yeah, it's it's as if to say, you know, the only kind of people you can really trust are these, you know, buff dudes in their weird outfits who, you know, want to fight all the time. That's the guys to follow, but not when these people have. It's as if to say that they they keep them out of the 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 rights and the power of being a Spartan, rightfully because he looks like that. Yeah, it's just a really sick mindset. It's a well, realistic it mindset, and uh, and they they have all the you know it's based I think on a graphic novel which must have yeah. been horrible. I well, I didn't see the novel, but if I'm not mistaken, it's a Frank Miller graphic novel, uh, and Frank Miller, uh, and, and I'll just yeah, it is by Frank Miller. Frank Miller, let's say his sociological outlook is problematic at best. Okay, well, so I mean, that's kind of it kind of comes through. You know? He has all these fantasy, what he considers comic book elements, like when uh, Xerxes attacks the Greeks, uh, they have a gigantic uh, rhinoceros attack. Yeah. They yeah. have gigantic elephants attack them. I mean, this is all nonsense. So, Gary, tell me what you think of how Xerxes was portrayed in the film. Uh, I, I thought it was strange, uh, in keeping with all the bizarre choices made in the 2007 version. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, uh, <clears throat> Xerxes was portrayed as this giant, you know, compared to Leonidas, or Leonidas, um, and uh, and he was played by a, a a black actor, and and to me that's kind of racist because the Persians are not black, and why not have a Persian play that role, or at least somebody from that part of the world, you know? 
and well, then clearly, was, clearly the Frank Miller or the director, they were trying to make a a kind of I mean, it's unavoidably a racist statement because they cast in a very specific way for no reason at all. It's not like they had a reason or they were updating it to a modern era. I mean, they well, just also, decided. Yeah, no, also he, he's a villain and he's black. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, it's sort of a. It's crazy. Know. Yeah. And, uh, and then he's portrayed as a giant. And then he's wearing this bizarre costume that looks like he's a, a pimp, a god awful costume. And, and the costumes are terrible in the movie. Whereas in the uh, 1965, was it? Uh, film? 1962 version, right? 62, sorry. Um, you know, the, the 300 Spartans uh, portrayed much more realistically, you know, human size and all that. Uh, and his costume was fairly authentic. Uh, well, so, yeah, I mean, I would hope they portray them human size. I mean, I, what people are going to listening to this are going to say is, oh, it's a, it's, it's a comic book, a graphic novel. They're making it out size. But the point I think we're driving at is, okay, fine. You're going to make these choices that you're going to uh, exaggerate certain things or change certain things or blow them up. You're doing that with an actual historical event. So there's, there has to be a reason to do that. Otherwise, if you're just doing it randomly, what's the point? So what we're looking at is what could be the reason behind it. You know, if you're listening to it and you're like, oh, you guys don't get it, what it's about. Yeah, no, we get it. And I thought the, the you know, artistic choice was interesting with the 2007 version in terms of making it look like a comic book. But there were other choices that were pretty offensive or just weird. So, well, my main complaint is that it just, uh, you know, totally misrepresents this fantastic story. And uh, which is, you know, one of the great episodes of uh, battles in history. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is Leonidas, um, you know, uh, worked out with the other Greek city-states. And, and by the way, I, I didn't mention him. I want to mention him um, because uh, he, you know, in, in the movie 300, it's depicted like it was just him and the 300 Spartans, which are his mm -hmm. bodyguard, I guess. And, uh, but in reality, uh, and I'm reading from a 1958 book that's always inspired me um, called Everyday Life in the Ancient Times and has a section on Greece. And uh, so there's a, a couple pages, and the title of the uh, segment is Leonidas's Immortal Sacrifice at Thermopylae. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the you know the uh, Spartans wanted to just just defend the Peloponnesus. They at Corinth, they didn't want to defend all of Greece. You know, Leonidas saw that uh, all of Greece needs to repel this uh, terrible invader. But he wasn't alone as depicted in the movie 300. Uh, he said he had nearly 5,000 other fighters from Tegea, Orchomenus, Corinth, Thespiae, Thebes, Locris, Phocus, uh, and, and, and etc. I mean, you know, so there's 5,000 other uh, Greek warriors that stayed behind to fight, and they fought to the death. Yeah, I mean, that changes it. And obviously, again, for the dramatic choice they make for the 2007 version, the idea of showing that there were more than just 300 ruins what, and we'll come to this right now as we wrap up what the interpretation is, ruins what I interpret as being a movie not about 
you know, a small band fighting for liberty against a larger enemy looking to, you know, uh, to take them, to dominate them and to control them and to take them over or conquer them. Instead, this becomes a story of how, you know, superior men can beat off a group of inferior men or cast-offs or weirdos. Or well, the, the, reality is, yeah. the reality is, is they chose Thermopylae because it's, quote, a narrow defile. There's a mountain there that virtually comes to the water uh, or very close to it. And so the, there's a narrow area. So the superior, the vast superior army of Xerxes which uh, Herodotus estimated at a million men, but uh, most historians think that's way overblown, that it's more like 100,000. But still, an immense army back in that day. Uh, It's still a huge army today. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, and, But the the huge numbers didn't make any difference in the narrow defile of Thermopylae. And so that's how Leonidas was able to hold him off for several days until he was betrayed by a Greek who... uh, Led the, um, you know, the enemy uh, through a pass in the mountains so they can encircle Leonidas and his army. So it's was, it was terrible. Right. And then so what, it's a, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, then and then it was interesting that, uh, you know, Xerxes went on to uh, take Athens, and he he you know he burnt the Parthenon down. Mm-hmm. You know the. the the first Parthenon, so they had to rebuild it later. Um, and most of the Greeks there in, in Athens uh, fled to this island of Sa- Salamis, you know, off- offshore there. And uh, so uh, Themistocles, who was head of the uh, Greek, I mean, the Athenian Navy, 400 and some ships, uh, took, to, took his uh, uh, naval force there. And um, Xerxes went after him. This is 480 BC, mm-hmm. and and went after him. But it's like a replay of Thermopylae because again, there's relatively narrow area between the island and the mainland, where the vast armada of Xerxes uh, didn't dominate, because only so many ships could be in the, in a relatively small area, and there were huge uh, ships. Galleons, they called them. And uh, whereas the Greeks had smaller but faster ships, and they could easily ram the, uh, you know, the cumbersome, uh, you know, ships ships of Xerxes, and they sank a lot of them and actually won the sea battle. And so it's like a replay of the uh, same strategy as, as Thermopylae, and it worked. And then Xerxes uh, withdrew, and then he withdrew most of the army to Thessaly. And then he, uh, after one of his generals lost the battle of uh, uh, Plataea, which they briefly show in the movie 300, by the way, at the very end. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, his general, Mar- Mardonius, was defeated at Plataea. And, uh, and and after that, Xerxes made no more further attempt to conquer Greece. And so, as it says in the book here, thus the battle of Salamis made Athens the mistress of the seas for many years and cleared the way for her notable political, commercial, and cultural expansion. So, a significant, this 
all of this story is significant in terms of world history because Greek history influences world history. And it's it seems to you me know, that it, it's, 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 it's kind of a... Mm-hmm. Of the little guy fighting the big guy and winning, you know? And I think that's there, but a couple of things. So it reminds me a little bit of the Battle of Britain. You had these, you know, this this small, this outnumbered or outgunned band trying to hold off a, a su- superior, powerful, aggressive force for the sake of freedom. And so that's right. happened in this case as well. Yes. Uh, and the story, again, in itself is already interesting. You've got the small band versus the larger band trying to hold on to their freedom. You don't have to turn this, turn this into some kind of eugenics battle of, you know, the superior people battling, you know, these freaks. And that's what the 2007 version. Yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was a freak. No, I agree. It was a freak show and a total, <clears throat> to me, boulderization of the true story. And it really... Uh, to me, it's insulting to the the valor, uh, you know, that the Greeks uh, displayed fighting for their freedom, and they won. They won against this vast empire. It's just really fantastic. So, Gary, how many shields would you give the 1962 version? Out of five it, shields, well, you would give you know, it, it, is, it is kind of dated by modern standards. I'd give it about a four. Okay. And what about the 2007 version? I'd give it a one. I would give the 2007 version a two uh, because I'm going to give it just points because I thought that the there was a breakthrough in how it used graphics. Uh, I haven't seen anybody else use it quite that well, but the story is atrocious the way they tell it. I give this 62 version. I'd agree with. Uh, well, you give it a four. I would probably give it a three, three and a half, three and a half because it's uh, it's dated. That's my main problem with it. It's a really it's dated, dated, but film. but to me, it's it's far better than the three uh, 2007 version. All right, and with that, we have covered our review of the two versions of the 300 story. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax channel. We are looking at the classical world at the movies, and we've been talking to Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. It's been fun. And again, I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again very soon. Take care.